Okay. Amen. Love that. All right. So we'll get into it. Uh, I have it titled Kingdom Responsibility and Stewardship simply because we're going to be talking about as a citizen of the kingdom or as a believer, what are your responsibilities and what is your stewardship? We're going to define what stewardship is because that is a term that's kind of Christianese. It's used in the Bible a lot, but a lot of believers just don't know what that means. So we're going to start by defining that. And this has relevant to where we're going forward in the future uh, with respect to that announcement I made earlier. Because in order to succeed as a community that functioned like the book of Acts, or the church in the book of Acts, I should say, we have to know how to manage our own lives, how to manage our finances, how to manage our time, our schedule, all that. And what does that look like biblically? And if you can master what we talk about here, this is foundational and sets you up for success in every other area of life and empowers you to be a diligent servant of God. Uh, There's a lot of believers who, especially in the kind of charismatic community, I feel like I've noticed that there's a lot of emphasis placed on things like faith and prayer and speaking in tongues and miracles and healings. And we love to talk about those things. And we always talk about how you got to pray more if you want to see more miracles. And you just got to, you know, white knuckle yourself in your prayer closet to Speaking in tongues for three hours without stopping, and then then maybe you might see somebody healed, and then you'll raise somebody from the dead or whatever. And I know personally I've just heard that kind of talk a lot, and I used to be in that boat where I thought that there's just more I have to do when it comes to the more spiritual activities, or as we define them, more spiritual activities. And at the cost of faithfulness and good stewardship in the practical parts of life that biblically are just as spiritual as the other more spiritual things. The reason why is because God does not look at your life and put your responsibilities into categories and say that some help you grow spiritually and others are just things of natural life that you just have to kind of power through and deal with it because you live in a fallen world and hopefully you have enough faith later on. That's not how God thinks of it. Anything the Bible tells you to do is spiritual because the Bible is spiritual. So that means any scripture that tells you to do something and you do it will make you grow, period. It doesn't matter if it's instruction about your finances or instruction about your prayer time or anything in between. If you obey the word, you will grow. And that's the point. A lot of believers neglect the parts of obedience to the word that have to do with their practical responsibilities that sometimes we downplay or dismiss because they don't seem as spiritual. But again, if it's in the word, it's spiritual, and you are just as responsible to obey it as you are other things. And they're foundational, or the beginning of your growth, because of a scripture in Luke 16, which we will get to momentarily, where we will read that. But to start, let's just go to the top here. First bullet point. Being a responsible person is about stewardship. That's the word that the Bible uses. Stewardship means taking what God has given you in this life and using or managing it well. That's what stewardship is. Anything that God has given you in this life. Now, if you can think about what God has given you, it's everything from your mind, your body, your time, your Bible, your money, your job, 
all of those things are part of your stewardship responsibility. Jesus told a lot of parables about stewardship, and he compared us on this earth to a lord or an, or an owner of a vineyard who left to a far country for a long time, left his servants in charge of, in charge of the vineyard while he was gone. And he said, when I get back, I expect to see that you took care of the vineyard, that you sold the fruit and made money. So the servants were stewards over that vineyard that was owned by the Lord or the master. For us, the vineyard is this earth and the people in it and everything in the earth. The master is, of course, Jesus, and he left to a far country who, off the top of their head, knows what that means. Where did Jesus leave to? Exactly. Seated at the right hand of the Father. That's a very far country. <laughs> we don't know exactly how far, but it's far. And he said he would come back, right? Physically, he will return. And he told us before he left his instructions to the disciples, make disciples of all nations, prepare for my coming, lay down the red carpet, if you will, get everything ready, make sure you stay ready, keep oil in your lamps, keep your lamps burning, right? Talked to a lot of parables about this. He left to be seated at the right hand of the Father, left this earth and the tasks in it, in our care and under our responsibility, told us to be good stewards so that we have fruit to offer him when he returns. He wants to know that we made money for his kingdom. I'm not talking about physical money. This is, of course, the riches as defined as what God sees riches as. So we're stewards. Amen? Christ is the owner. You're a steward. So again, stewardship means taking what God has given you in this life and using or managing it well. Next bullet point. God has given us both spiritual and natural things. Just to clarify that distinction, that simply means a spiritual thing would be something like your, uh, your wisdom of scripture or your prayer or your spiritual gifts, per se. Natural things would be like your money or your body. But we have to be faithful stewards of natural things before we can be trusted with greater spiritual things. Because they're all important to God. That's what I was talking about earlier in the, in the introduction to this teaching. Any obedience to the word to God is extremely valuable. But it starts with natural things. So let's look at Luke 16. This is the first scripture we want to read. Luke 16, starting verse 11. Luke 16, verse 11. It says, therefore, we'll look at context in a moment here. If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? This is directly connected to lots of parables Jesus told. If you guys remember when Jesus told the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, he told the faithful stewards, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been a good steward over a few things. So now I will make you ruler over many things. He started by giving the man something that wasn't his own. It belonged to the Lord. 
Then he says, if you do well with that, I'm going to give you something to rule over. In other words, you'll be the owner of it now. You have to be faithful what, with what belongs to somebody else before you can be faithful with what's your own. And Jesus says first, what that means is the unrighteous mammon. Some translations just simply call this money or worldly wealth. Unrighteous mammon, if you put it in a single category, basically means money. That's what the context is. And Jesus says in verse 10, he was faithful in what is least, is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So in other words, money is compared to the true riches. Money is nothing more to God than paper dead presidents. That's all it is. And to him, what's true riches is the wealth of his kingdom, everything that's in his kingdom. And he's saying, he's not going to entrust you with things that are of his kingdom if you can't be faithful with your money first. That's where it starts. That's why really basic, foundational, spiritual growth actually starts with what you do with your natural things, unrighteous mammon, your money, your body, your time, things that are of this earth. Go to that next bullet point. Poor management of money, time, and calendar is an easy trap of the enemy. Here's why. If you remain a poor manager of these parts of your life, it will be impossible to be diligent in serving God's kingdom. If you break that down, what it looks like, that sub-bullet point there, in order to be free to serve God, you must be free from the traps of life's cares. If you're overwhelmed and stressed by life's responsibilities, you won't be able to freely serve God in all things. But if you're good with money, planning, using your time well, taking care of your body, etc., you'll be free and empowered to serve God excellently. Right? People who really, really struggle with money think about it way too much, and it completely overwhelms them and overtakes their time. Their life just gets swallowed up in it. But it can be the same with a lack of good responsibility in other areas of your life. If you don't maintain your health, for example, what happens? You lose your ability to function physically in an effective way. You're tired all the time. You don't have energy to serve God well. How can you take scriptures like in Colossians where it says, all that you do, do as unto the Lord. Do not live like you're serving men. Live like you're serving God. Now, if you were aware that you were serving God in everything, you think you'd, you'd want to use all of your energy. You, you want to put your full ability into doing something well. But if you don't know how to manage your money, you don't know how to manage and steward your body, and those things overwhelm and overtake you, you're not going to be able to do what God wants you to do your, to do to your fullest ability. And that's why it's an easy trap of the enemy. Because when it's neglected, it stops you from being able to serve God diligently and serve him excellently. So if you want to do well spiritually, you have to do well naturally first. You have to do well with your body, do well with your money, do well with your time, your calendar, your planning, your schedule, and that will allow you to be diligent in how you serve God. So I'll just read that, uh, that first point. Poor management of money, time, and calendar is an easy trap of the enemy. Remember that. Do you have a question? Microphone. Talking one day, um, and it's a verse in Ezekiel that I was trying to find, but I couldn't find. It's a cross reference of like um, not managing your time, 
and stuff that's going on same line along the same lines as that and what the verse kind of said is because there's an abundance of idleness it led to yep. Sodom and Gomorrah that's another way of looking fall. at it yeah so what Jacob's talking about here is Ezekiel 16 where God actually states the primary error or fault of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah so when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah, that's the city that was so overrun by sexual immorality that God destroyed it by fire and brimstone, right? Very famous story in Genesis, in the life of Abraham. Ezekiel 16 actually tells you what really went wrong with that city and why it ended up in such a terrible state. And what it says is pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. And that's what led to them being overrun by sexual immorality. Yeah, yeah, literally, literally is. That's that's how it happens. It started with, wow, we're doing really good. Look at us, we can make money. Look at us, we got a lot of food. Look at us, we don't need to work. We have so much food and we have all this idle time. What do we do with it? We sin. <laughs> that's what happens. That's what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, there's a proverb that says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Poverty, lest I steal and profane the name of, our, of my God. Or riches, lest I be full and say, who is the Lord? Or where is the Lord? Which basically means, sometimes if you have a lot of money, you forget to depend on God. You start to rely on your money. And if you get really poor, then you end up sinning to get what you need, which profanes God. So there's a balance he's talking about where you don't love money and seek it in everything, but you also are a good steward so you don't end up in poverty. Both lead to sin. And there's that happy medium that good stewardship is all about, which is what we're dealing with. So yeah, great comment there, Jacob, about Ezekiel 16, if you guys want to find that on your own time. Or we are busy with God's work. Yeah, you want to be busy with God's work, yes, you're not, not tempted by the bad stuff. So next bullet point. A good steward... This is a really important point. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 25. A good steward is not someone who maintains what God has given him, but someone who multiplies what God has given him. You don't maintain, you multiply. That's what a steward does. If you remember the steward in Matthew 25, we won't turn there. I'll just give you guys a rundown. You can read that on your own time. The steward who took the talent that, that the Lord gave him, kept it in its original state, buried it in the ground, and returned it to him in the same state in which he gave it to him. Jesus, or the Lord, looked at that steward and called him a foolish and wicked servant and cast him into outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So apparently maintaining and not multiplying to Jesus was deserving of hellfire. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So you're a good steward when you multiply, not just maintain. In other words, is there gain or increase resulting from your activity in every area of your life? I list some examples. Are you turning your body into a healthier, stronger body? It's a really simple thing. If all you do is maintain, Jesus called that bad stewardship. Right? So are you becoming stronger, healthier? Are you becoming more effective in the, the use of your body? Next, are you turning your money into more money for good works? This is not for yourself, not to spend it on your own pleasures, but are, are you using your money to make money? Are, are you gaining so that you can do more for God's kingdom? Right? That would be a good stewardship with your money. 
Then you've got, are you turning your time through efficient planning into more time? If you're bad at planning, you end up wasting a lot of time. If you know how to plan well, you end up with more time that you use for good things, for profitable things. That would be diligence or productivity. Those are all examples of how you'd be multiplying as a steward of these areas of your life. Of course, there's other areas. Those are just a few examples to introduce what we're dealing with here. So moving forward for the rest of this teaching, there's that, that asterisk with that comment next that says, although we are responsible to do many things in life, for the next few weeks we'll be focusing on our use of time, planning and calendar, and money. That's what we're going to focus on for the next few weeks here. And we're going to start with your time, planning, and calendar. Now, a responsible use of time. This is where it comes up next. We've talked about this before. I'm just going to cover it briefly as a review. We won't look at those scriptures, but I will reference a few of them so you know what uh, roughly what they say. You guys can look those up on your own time. So these are points that scripture specifically says we are responsible to, to do these things with the use of your time. First, study of the word and prayer. That's renewing your mind, being in prayer. Daily, the Bible says. Daily renew your mind. And it also says pray without ceasing. <coughs> then you've got number two, physical discipline and healthy diet. First Timothy 4.8 talks about that bodily ex exercise profits a little. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says to discipline or buffet your body. It actually means to beat the flesh. That's what that means. Keep yourself disciplined. Proverbs 25.27 talks about a healthy diet. It's a proverb that basically says, don't eat a lot of sugar. In a paraphrase. It talks about honey. That says if you eat too much, you'll vomit. And it's basically a proverb that all is all-encompassing of don't eat too much of things that are not good for your body. Otherwise, it will negatively affect your health. So, there is scripture for that, interestingly enough. It's not just doctors that are telling you that, right? Number three, work for financial gain. Ephesians 4.28 there in that list says to work. So you have to give to those who are in need. We are commanded to work with our hands. Every one of us in some way, shape, or form so that there's financial gain coming to our households and so that we can give. Number four is relationships, or number four and five have to do with relationships. Number four is about relationships with believers. This could look like your believing friends, your church community, any form of fellowship or discipleship is all a responsibility, as stated in Scripture. Lots of the examples of that in Acts. you got relationships with unbelievers. That has to do with outreach. Is there more people coming into the kingdom because of your influence? Number six is joy and rest. This is basically time you spend for fun, family time, and sleep. Scripture actually does command you to have fun, believe it or not. One of the reasons why is because when you are able to have fun, you can bring the joy from that fun into the rest of your life. People who don't do a lot of things for fun have a harder time bringing joy into the rest of their life. There's things I'm still laughing at today that I heard a week ago from hanging out with friends, <laughs> right? And it's awesome. I love it. The Bible does command you to do that. It also tells you to enjoy time with your family. Ecclesiastes 9 says to rejoice and have, take joy with your wife, your family, enjoy your time. Uh, and you, of course, have your sleep. Jesus did those things too. Okay. So, if you, use, if you find a way, and this is 
very possible. I'm going to show you how possible it is once we turn the page. You can fit every single one of these things into one day. Easily. A lot of people don't think it's easy, but you, you can do it. And these are all responsibilities. Some of them, scripture states, are, you know, they're commanded as a daily activity. Some of these are not explicitly stated as a daily activity, but you do see Jesus doing them daily. You see Paul doing them daily. Lots of uh, examples in scripture of these happening on a daily basis. And I'm going to show you, once we turn the page, how you can do these daily. So, this gets into planning, scheduling, and the use of your calendar. Oftentimes, people, when they look at that list of the one through six responsibilities of what to do with their, their time, they think, man, that's impossible because my life is so busy, right? And that is just simply ignorance of how to use your time, how, do you, how to plan, how to schedule. So we're going to look at just a practical list of what you do with 168 hours in a week. I'll show you how possible this is. So number one, plan how you will use your time well. You're not going to be able to use your time well if you don't plan to. And there's plenty of scriptures that actually command us to plan. Without knowing how to use one's time effectively, it goes to waste. Make a schedule for yourself and stick to it. Do your best to let no time go to waste. Ephesians 5.15 tells us to redeem the time because the days are evil. Proverbs 14.23 says diligent people plan and Psalms 90.12 says, teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So diligent, godly people redeem the time. That means they rescue lost time from loss, turn it into gain. Redeem means to rescue from loss. So rescuing time from loss would mean doing what needs to happen so you stop wasting time. That's what redeeming the time means. And you have to plan in order to do that. So what does planning look like practically? You got 168 hours in a week. Now, I was generous with most of these numbers. So if you think this is unreasonable, remember that I added more hours for you than you probably have for a lot of these things. This is an average person. So this is not going to be every single individual because some people's lifestyles are different. If you're you know, a stay-at-home mom or whatever, what have you. Average person, 40 hours of those 168 hours in a week, go to work for financial gain. That's eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. You got 128 hours after that remaining. Let's say you sleep eight hours a night. You got 56 hours that goes to sleep. That gives you 72 hours left. Then you have 21 hours to cooking and eating. That's three hours a day going to food. That's generous. Okay. You'll have 21 hours added if you fast which I would highly recommend. Fasting makes you realize how much time you waste, guys. If you don't eat, you raise how much time goes to food, stop eating for a while, <sniffs> crazy. Yeah, yeah, cooking a meal, yeah. Oh yeah, cutting out a meal, yeah, yep. Okay, then you got, let's say, seven hours a week to Bible study and prayer, that's an hour a day. Let's say you do it in the morning before you go to work or at night before you go to bed, an hour a day. It's really not that much. You got 44 hours left. Let's say you got seven hours of church and fellowship. So if you're a fanatic and you're in this community, that means that say you spend five hours at house church and two hours here on a Sunday. Okay? If you do that, that's seven hours. For fellowship with believers, you got 37 hours left after that. Let's say you had add another seven hours a week to exercise and hygiene. So that'd be working out and showering. So that could be 
let's say that's half an hour a day of exercise and half an hour of cleaning up, or let's say it's an hour of exercise, uh, four days a week rather than seven days a week, whatever. Those seven hours can be reworked differently depending on a person's life. You still got 30 hours left. This is, of course, after work and sleep. Let's say you got three hours to appointments and errands. You're grocery shopping. Let's say you got a doctor's appointment. You got to go to the bank. Whatever. Appointments and errands, three hours. You got 27 hours left. Seven hours to drive. And the average American, according to Google, spends about 51 minutes a day in the car driving. So I added a few minutes and just called it seven hours. Call that an hour a day in the car. You got 20 hours left. Let's say you got two hours a day for your family. That would be just joy to be with your family two hours a day, let's say at the end of the day after you get home from work or whatever. You got six hours left after that. Then you got, say, three hours a week to a believer. One time you spend three hours with a friend who's a believer. Maybe it's one hour or two hours with a couple friends, whatever. You got three hours left after that. Then let's say you put three hours to an unbeliever or a few unbelievers. People that you're just reaching, you talk, you call somebody on the phone. Let's say you hang out with a coworker after work for a little while, trying to spread the gospel, or just trying to be a friend to people who are unbelievers, expand, expand the kingdom, share your faith, whatever that looks like. After you do, you've done all these things, you have no time left. You have completely used every single minute. So I just put at the end, how much time is left for scrolling on your phone or binging on Netflix? None. Oh, okay. <laughs> During work. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, point being, the purpose of writing this down was not to say your schedule needs to look exactly like this. This is just what it might look like for the average person based on statistics, based on some of my own experience and how much time I put into some of these things. These are all really basic, healthy things. These are not things that special people will do. These are not things that exceptionally disciplined, I don't know, like Marines or Navy SEALs will do, okay? This is just a normal person being healthy. This is what your time, the use of your time might look like. After doing this, you will not have time to waste if you're living your life this way. And this is working full time, sleeping eight hours a day, spending three hours a day on food, Think about if you rework some of these things, let's say you fast two days a week. Let's say you put less time into, like you exercise a little bit less, maybe it's half an hour a day instead of an hour a day, four days a week. So you can put more time into your friends, more time into unbelievers. Let's say you don't go to church on Sunday, which we'll end up doing, and you're just in your house church, you got five hours, you free up another two hours there. When you rework this, think about it, you got a lot of time. So, I just would encourage you guys to think about, and you can even use this as a model if you want, because this is pretty average, but if your lifestyle looks like this, where you have you know regular eight-hour job, Monday through Friday, you can use this as a framework to say, hey, I could probably fit in these things in my life. And just, I challenge you, see how much time you have left after that to waste. Even if you just do it for a week, see what happens. Now, if you... Think about this in terms of how much goes to waste for the average person. Let's say you got 40 hours of work. Let's say you got eight hours of sleep most nights, but you sleep in on the weekends. So let's say maybe if you can do it, you get 10 hours Saturday and Sunday. A lot of people can't sleep that long, but let's say you can. Let's say you're not really in the word. And you don't really exercise. 
And let's say you waste your money on ordering Grubhub every day. <laughs> yeah. And let's say maybe you get, you know, three hours with a friend, what have you. You're going to have like 30 hours that just gets wasted. That's a lot of time. So think about this. Let it challenge you. If you can find a way to include these things, like I said, in your time, in your weekly schedule, you're going to get a lot done. You're going to be very productive. Your life will be very pleasing to God. You'll be a diligent person. And you'll be a good steward of unrighteous mammon so that you can be entrusted with the true riches. Amen? Okay. Now, some more practical points. Number two here. These are just now principles of diligent planning. Using planning or scheduling to make sure you do what you say you're going to do and when you say you're going to do it. People who don't plan well often don't do what they say they're going to do because they say something, make commitments verbally, and don't follow through. That's because of a lack of planning. Matthew 5.37, Jesus commands us to do what you say you're going to do. That's a part of diligent planning. But the Bible does say, this is based on James 4, remember the future is not certain, so acknowledge the will of God. James 4, the writer says, instead of saying we will go and make a profit, do this and do that, he says, say instead, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. His point was, you are required, if you put this in balance with what Jesus said, you're required to plan. We're told diligent people plan. But remember Everything you plan is still under God's control, which means if anything happens in the world that's unexpected and cancels those plans, you have to be willing for that to happen simply as, your, as a way of your submission to God's will. But what, whenever you can plan, you should and follow through on your word. Um, this is, even though it's kind of Christianese, it actually is an advantage from time to time to just when you're making plans with people to say, hey, God willing, I'll be there. The, the heart behind doing, behind doing that is to just remind a person, hey, I'm going to do my best to do what I say I'm going to do, but I'm still within the plan of God. And God operates on his plans, not mine. Right? So you're just expressing that trust in God. But we are told to use planning and scheduling to make sure that we do what, we're, what we say we're going to do. It's a very important part of being diligent. Number three. Plan for actions by making sure you have sufficient resources resources to complete an action. Do not start what you're not prepared to finish. People plan to do things all the time, and they don't have enough to complete. Proverbs 4.27 discusses that. I would like to read that real quick. So let's go to Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4.27. Maybe it was 14. Uh, might have been Proverbs 14. That might be a typo there. No. Yeah, so... 427 says, do not turn to the right or the left to remove your foot from evil. Yeah, that's not, not the scripture that I intended to have written there. 
Do I? 1227? Oh, let's look at that one. Maybe that's what it is. 1227. Ah, yep, it's that one. Okay. So you can scribble out 4, change it to 12. I just wrote it twice, but for some reason put a 4 in there. Okay. It says, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. So he's talking about somebody who goes hunting, they make a kill, bring it in, but they don't cook it. Man, it was so much work to get the animal. Ah, I'll just let it rot. I don't need to eat it. Right? Doesn't, doesn't finish what he starts. That's the point of that. But diligence is man's precious possession. More precious than what you earn itself is diligence itself. Diligence is precious. So I wrote here in that bullet point, a lazy person does not finish what they start, beginning a work but never bringing it to completion or to anything meaningful or productive. You look at uh, Proverbs 26, 15. Take a look at that. Proverbs 26, 15 says, The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. This is a proverb that, practically speaking, basically means that the act of feeding yourself is too much, too much work to finish it. That's what it's talking about. Like, think about, okay, this is rampant in America, where this nation practically functions on instant gratification and convenience, right? It pr practically runs on that. The fact that things like easy fast food, delivery, whatever, th that exists because people find it too much work, oftentimes, to actually prepare what is good for them, what's healthy, right? It's easier to not have to put your hand in the bowl. Just have somebody else feed your mouth, right? So this is not to say ordering takeout is a bad thing, okay? Like, you can get takeout. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? The point is... Putting in the work to feed yourself well is work. And he's saying a lazy person doesn't like the work of feeding themselves. And so they won't do it. And so that's just another example. Even when it comes to food, making sure you're prepared to finish what you start. To complete for your own health and well-being what's needed. The plan for actions by making sure you have sufficient resources to complete an action. Not just the resources, but even the energy. Make sure you're prepared to finish what you start. Number four, in doing what you plan, be diligent. That basically means be hardworking and productive, and you will prosper at whatever you do. Your plans will lead to plenty. Plans carried out with laziness will fail. So I would like to look at one of these proverbs. We won't look at all of them just for the sake of time. I believe it's 13.4 is the one I wanted to look at. Let's see here. Let's look at 14.23 proverbs. 
14.23 says, In all labor there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. In all labor there is profit. So if you're, if you're truly working, if you're truly laboring, there will be gain from it. If there's no gain from it, it's not true labor as God sees it. So if you're working well, there's going to be profit that comes from it. Then look at 21.5 of Proverbs. Chapter 21, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. So if you're a diligent person, what you plan will succeed. It will lead to plenty. But if you act quickly, do things lazily, it will lead to poverty. So when people make plans, if in carrying out those plans, they're lazy or slow, then the plan will fail. It'll lead to poverty. But if you make a plan and carry it out diligently, and you're a hard worker in carrying out that plan, it will succeed. It will lead to plenty. That's the point. So it's important when you plan to make sure you carry out that plan well. In addition to the previous point, make sure you have the energy and resources to finish what you start. There's actually a few Proverbs that say not finishing what you start is wasteful. All right, that's number five. Make sure your plans are well advised by wise people. Do not act alone or hastily. Um, we already read Proverbs 21.5 that talks about the plans of the diligent lead to plenty. 15.22 of Proverbs says, without, plans, without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. This is just a way of saying, if you do things by yourself without getting advice, just in your own pride oftentimes, that makes plans fail. But when you have a lot of wise people that give you good counsel, it will establish your plans and help them succeed. It's part of diligence. So make sure your plans are well advised by wise people. Number six, if your plans involve others, make sure you don't involve unfaithful people. People who change a lot or people who don't keep their word. I'm sure there's plenty of people who have had business endeavors and you work with the wrong people. It doesn't go well, right? So if your plans involve other people, make sure they're faithful people. Don't involve unfaithful people, people who change a lot, people who don't keep their word. Proverbs 24, 21 through 22. It's a good scripture. We'll look at that. 24, 21 through 22. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin those two can bring. Do not associate with those given to change. Very important. If you want to be a faithful person, work with faithful people. Number seven, last one here. Act urgently to do what's truly important because time is short. Time is borrowed, too. Slackness, moving slowly, or relaxing one's labor is wasteful. We'll look at a couple of those scriptures in a moment. That bullet point says, besides your own salvation, people, souls, are the only thing that matters. Everything we do, we should do for the sake of saving people from hell. 
not for enjoying a comfortable life on earth. So if you really boil all this down, being diligent as a planner, as a steward of your resources, allows you to be better at winning souls. That's ultimately the goal of everything that we do. You can't serve God's kingdom well, or you can't help win souls if you're not diligent or a good steward in these areas. Because souls are what's most important. You get too wrapped up in money complications, you have a hard time being with people, helping people, giving, serving other people. Yeah, wrapped up in sin, laziness, and idleness. Yeah, that'll, that'll hinder you as well. The Bible says that sin easily ensnares us. It gets you tangled up. So it says, lay aside every weight and lay aside every sin. That's uh, Hebrews 12. It says that. Verse 2. So if you go back to the scriptures, it's talking about doing, acting urgently, be a slackness, moving slowly or relaxing, one's labor is wasteful. Let's take a look at Hebrews 6 real quick. Hebrews 6, verse 10. Hebrews 6. Verse 10. It says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In short, he's saying, be diligent in everything, stay diligent all the way until the end, and never become sluggish. Sluggish means to slow down. That's what it means. Work hard, and work hard until the end. That's what it's saying. Then look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Galatians 6, verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So do not grow weary, don't grow tired out. Then if we do not lose heart, so lose heart there is a Greek word that means to slow down. Do not grow weary or get tired out in doing good because you'll, you'll reap the reward if you don't slow down. That's why Hebrews 6 says, through faith and patience, you inherit the promises. We talked about patience a couple weeks ago. Patience is the ability to work hard and long. One of the qualities of it. I mean, it's diligence. Look at one more scripture. This one is not on the list, but it's one that I'll use to just kind of close things up here. Go to 2 Corinthians. Let's start in Let's start in verse 1 actually. 2 Corinthians 8. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. 
Did not write this one down. If you're taking notes, it'd probably be good to write this down at the end, even on that sheet of paper. This is a really good one. This kind of will allow me to end with what I started with about unrighteous mammon or your money, natural things being just as important to God as other things. Verse 1. He's talking about money. That's the context of this. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Layman's terms, he's saying, we're praising God because there's this church that they're being, or that they're in a lot of hardship, but they're still really happy and even though they have hardly any money, they're more generous than anyone. That's what he's saying. They're in a really hard time, and they have more joy than anyone. And they don't have a lot of money, but they're more generous than anyone. That's what he's talking about. And then he says how they did it. For, their, uh, for I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. There's urgency, which we talked about earlier. He says they were freely willing to give. This is talking about giving their money, so much so that they were urgently telling the apostles to receive the money they were giving and deliver it to the people they wanted it delivered to. They're acting urgently. Verse 5. Not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun... So he would also complete this grace in you as well. So he's basically telling Corinth, I want you guys to be as good with your money as the Macedonian churches. He's saying they're a really good example. That's complete this grace in you as well. That's the grace of being good with money. Verse 7. As you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. So he's saying, hey, here's what God thinks. As much as you want to abound in faith, in knowledge, in love, you should want to abound with your money. You should be as good with money as you want to be good with faith and love and knowledge. Which is the point I started with, that to God, all of these things are important to him equally. You have to be faithful with unrighteous mammon first. And you will find, actually, that by being faithful in these things, you will contribute more to the growth of your faith, more to the growth of your knowledge, more to the growth of your ability to expand God's kingdom when you're good with these things. One reason is that it's a great example to other people, because people in the world who don't know Christ yet, what they do know is that they want money. Right? And if you're really good with money, and they know you're a believer, and they know that you're good with your time, and they know that you follow Jesus, they'll look at you and say, wow, the person I know who's the best with their money follows Jesus. So what does that say about Jesus? Right? That's an attractant to people. It helps you expand the kingdom. In fact, there's a, a young man I know right now who I met in Target. And all I, he knew that I was a believer from the beginning just because of how I talk. But all I talked to him about 
was just simply what Proverbs says about money and time and being diligent because he's getting out of high school and he wants to build a life for himself and he really wants to talk and is interested in Jesus because of what the Bible says about money. Right? Now that's something I wouldn't be able to say in honesty or sincerity if I didn't believe in what the Bible says about how you use your money and was putting it into practice. So if this is, of course, all things that we can always improve in, I'm improving in it. I'm still working on making refinements and my use of my time, money, schedule, things like that. The point being, this will be good for you and your own growth, and it will be good for attracting people of the world to Christ. It will help you be a better evangelist if you're a good steward in these areas. As an immediate response of you guys, a, a challenge, which I mentioned earlier, look at that part about planning and the use of your calendar. See if you can change around what you do with the hours of your week and take steps to have less time go to waste. Try to make progress in that area. Take a week, try it out. Next week, what we're going to be covering is more details about money. So we're going to look at scriptures that talk about the first responsibilities we have when it comes to money. So you have money, what do you do with it? There's a lot of scriptures that talk about that. So we're going to get into those monetary responsibilities. And then after that, we'll finish with just some more practical application for that. And any of you who are interested in more just like personal advice about it when it comes to like your financial standings, we have uh, just tools and resources amongst the community to help you guys um, in those areas. So that's available as well. But for the time being, just be prepared for next week by trying to take some steps to just refine your, your calendar, your planning, and then we'll talk more about money next week, next Sunday. Any last questions? Summary of the whole thing? You have to be a good steward of worldly things if you want to be a good servant of God. This means you must know how to use your time, how to plan, and how to be diligent. That would be a summary.